This podcast is sponsored by Slow Wave. Are you looking for more calm and less stress in your day? The world is chaotic and distractions are everywhere. It's easier for me to be creative when I feel calm. And that's why I'm really into the new modern CBD experience from Slow Wave. This new brand designed a CBD line to help creators feel calm and centered, to be more creative, stay focused, and do their best work. I usually start my day with their Super Halo Day Blend gummies and a cup of coffee, and it really helps me get dialed in so I can get more done. Visit slowwave.com and use the code BETTERYET15 to save 15% off your order. Welcome to Better Yet. I'm Tim Crisp, your host. Better Yet is a conversation that started in 2016, and it's a conversation that continues this week with my guest, Blind Adam. My good friend Adam Gagola is here to talk about his new record, The Fields We Know. Thank you for joining us. Thanks to all who are subscribing to the show on your podcast player of choice. I'd like to invite you to visit our website, betteryetpod.com, and check out our YouTube page, youtube.com slash at betteryetpod. How are we doing today? I'm drinking that Dagger Mountain coffee. Daggermountain.com. Follow them on Instagram at daggermtncoffee, my favorite coffee roaster in the U.S. of A, right here in Valparaiso, Indiana, the home of Better Yet. Since October of 2020, I'm drinking the limited release holidays Costa Rican red honey coffee, tasting notes of caramel, cotton candy, and sugar plum. Pick yourself up a bag at daggermountain.com. How we doing, Bubba? Excited to have Blind Adam on the podcast. We talked all the way back in June of 2018, episode number 101, an episode that I will note is available on your Apple Podcasts and Spotify feed. We're cutting those off at the latest 100 episodes, but we've opened up the entire Better Yet archive on Apple and Spotify. If you feel like revisiting our oldest episodes, now would be a good time too. We're going to take some time off for the holidays and the new year. Still not sure when I'll be back but this will be a good time to rest and recharge. It's been an eventful 2023, and I get to sign off on another year of doing this show. I didn't release a top 10 list, but if I were to make one, most of that list would be occupied by people I was lucky enough to spend time with on this program, and that's a gift. We are sponsored 
by Slow Wave CBD. Slow Wave is a brand new CBD brand that specializes in crafting CBD products for creative people. Helps you feel calm, centered, and inspired. Slow Wave helps me get into the creative zone for the podcast and my other creative ventures. It's a high quality product, third party tested. Edibles are fully vegan and they taste great too. I've been using the Hotel Roses tincture for sleep and it's been providing me such great and restful sleep. Follow Slow Wave on Instagram at shopslowwave and visit shopslowwave.com and use the code BETTERYET15 to save 15% off your order. All right, my guest this week is Blind Adam. Adam is one of my fucking heroes. We met at college. He started playing music with my roommate and past guest of this show, Joey Kappel. They started a band called Endless Mike, and Adam asked if I wanted to play music with them. I didn't have an electric guitar when I met him, but I got one pretty soon thereafter, and my life changed forever. So did Adam's. In fact, it wasn't too long after we'd become friends that he started having problems with his vision. He has an optic nerve disorder called Lieber's Hereditary Optic Neuropathy, and Adam lost his vision in his 20s. We continued to play music with our band, The Night Brigade, and after The Night Brigade broke up, Adam was quiet for a couple years, but he started making music again in 2018 with a new band, Blind Adam and the Federal League. We had Adam on the pod that June, and since then he's released two new LPs, An Act of Desperation in 2021, and The Fields We Know in November of 2023. The Fields We Know is recorded with Pete Steinkoff of The Bouncing Souls at Little Eden Studios in Asbury Park, a place that Adam and I both have a history with and a lot of affection for. It was nice to reminisce about that, especially before the holidays. Blind Adam and the Federal League just wrapped a two-week tour opening for The Bouncing Souls, and we spoke right before Adam was leaving for that tour. This is such a great conversation to end the year on. Thank you so much for listening to Better Yet. We'll see you in 2024. For now, here's me and Adam Cagola. <laughs> Joining us from West Humboldt Park, Chicago, Illinois, Blind Adam is on the show. Hi, Adam. Welcome to Better Yet. Hello, Tim Chris, my friend. How are you? I'm good, dude. It's good to see you again. Good to see you, my friend. Good to see you. Absolutely. You were on in 2018 for episode number 101. And uh, you've had two records come out since then, An Act of Desperation in 2021, and just last month, The Fields We Know. Yeah, today, uh, I believe today is the one-month mark for that record release. Dude, hell yeah. And you are about to leave on a tour with the Bouncing Souls. You're going to the East Coast. Yeah, we leave tomorrow morning, and the first show is on Wednesday night in Long Island, um i've never been to long island so uh we're super stoked we've we've been to most of these cities before and we've played most of them but you know we've always been uh about at the diy level maybe a a half step sure above above that you know yeah you're gonna play some big rooms with the souls yeah yeah very big rooms it's uh it's quite exciting i mean we've played we've played some bigger shows you know one or two at a time before but this is 12 of them in a row so that's awesome uh, dude yeah yeah it's pretty wild you got strike anywhere on a couple of those shows too yeah so the the main tour package is us opening and then cat bite uh seven seconds and the bouncing souls and then strike anywhere is playing a few of the dates and uh the pie tasters are playing one or two of the shows as well that's fucking awesome yeah it's totally insane you got a strike anywhere sticker on that brand new telecaster you got too right um, so I have, uh, the iron front arrows painted on that Telecaster, which is, uh, the iron front was an anti-fascist coalition of, uh, multiple different sects of German politics, uh, towards the end of the Weimar Republic leading into the third Reich era. And then for a while after they were part of the resistance, um, but it was, uh, anarchists, um, anti-authoritarian communists and socialists, uh, progressives, social Democrats, whatever, um, that all united under the iron front arrows. Those three arrows were their symbol to fight against the Nazis and, uh, um, 
Strike Anywhere uses that as a logo, but they flip it around the other way for whatever reason. I know that mm. they are a, they're a leftist and anti-fascist band, but maybe they just flipped it to face the other way, so it was more of uh, like their logo, I guess. Dude, I'm always learning things when I'm hanging out with my buddy Adam G. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, always learning things when I'm hanging out with you. What kind of Telecaster is that? That's a nice, it's a nice looking axe. Thank you. Yeah, um, I got that a few years ago uh, through a buddy um, that had a, a deal with Fender, uh, and that is they only made that model for a few years. They made it for like three or four years. It's the American Elite Thin Line, yeah, Telecaster. I believe it's the American Elite. Um, it's a it's a really cool guitar. It is a bit of a pain in the ass. It has like this. Uh, floating bridge that is not fixed to the body. The only thing that holds it to the body is the string tension. Mm, mm-hmm. So I had to learn how to change the strings without totally fucking up the intonation. And I, I learned that by fucking up the intonation. The first so time. it's funny you bring that up because I similarly have uh, learned how to do that by changing the strings on my Gretsch, my electric guitar, um, which... I wouldn't have bought if not for my friendship with you. Yes, I, re- I remember. Uh, I remember when I posed you the question because I think you had two acoustic guitars, yeah, at least two. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I guess, I needed to know why you didn't have at least one electric guitar. <laughs> <laughs> I like telling that story because it, um, you have a a very particular logic that. Um, was on display in that one. You you were like, do you have an electric guitar? And I was like, no. And you were like, well, why not? And I said, I don't know. I I I just don't have one. And you said, you should get one. And I said, yeah, I guess I should. And that's kind of how it goes. <laughs> but I just like, I love that. Well, why not? <laughs> there must be an answer. Yeah. <laughs> I actually did get a Telecaster uh, recently. It's a it's a yeah. kind of beat up uh, Mexican, but uh, my friend Dave from Rap Boys, who you met at the Daisy Show, um, yes, and I've, I've crossed paths with him a few times since. Oh yeah, he's good people. He fixed that he fixed that thing up for me. Good. Been having. I think fun Telecasters look a little better when they're a little worn. Yeah, definitely, dude. Speaking of Telecasters. You see any of the Bruce shows at Wrigley? I did not. Um, I would have loved to have gone. Uh, I did not plan to because they were quite expensive uh, in the time where we um, we had this record coming out this year, which was uh, a, a very hefty financial commitment for us all to make. And then uh, I also got married earlier this year, which was Congratulations. also... Thank you very much, my friend. And uh, um, that was a bit of a, a financial commitment as well. So I was kind of waiting to see if maybe at the last minute I would be able to pick up a ticket on the cheap or, you know, whatever, something might happen. And uh, that did not happen. But you did text me saying that there might be a ticket available for me. And at that time, I already had some other obligation. I don't remember what it was. Yeah, but I, caught yeah him. This is, I remember in this now. Mm-hmm. I did catch him at Wrigley in 2012 or 13 when they were doing the uh, Wrecking Ball tour and Tom Morello was in the band for a while. Oh, hell yeah. And uh, that was, I think Wrecking Ball is my favorite modern Springsteen record. Yeah. Uh, Wrecking Ball or Magic, maybe. So I was glad to catch him on that tour. I uh, hope, hopefully, I'll have another chance to see him again with the E Street band, but, you know, we'll see. That was you, my, how, how, how was the show that you went to? It was fucking awesome. I only, only went because I got a free ticket. I would yeah. not have paid that much money to to see him, but it was also the first time I have seen him. Yeah, which was which is insane to me. I know because we, I feel you went to that one show in Milwaukee where he played for like close to four hours. I think it's like the fifth longest show that he has played. Yeah, it was then, at the Harley Davidson like get together in Milwaukee or something. Yeah, that was in two thousand eight. Yeah. Which is like height of Bruce fandom for me was living in normal Illinois and like, you know, hanging out with you and and Scott and Terry and just, yeah. Yeah, Laura, everybody. I mean, Mm -hmm. 
we'd all be actually i just had a i just met up with laura for a, a little uh beverage around the holiday and she sent her regards so on the podcast here laura brown said hello to tim crisp what's up laura <laughs> how are your mom and dad doing they're doing good man um yeah settled into their place on the south side back in hometown illinois and uh yeah, just uh, enjoying retirement. My dad drives a senior citizens bus for the for the town a couple of days a week, and uh, just for a couple extra bucks and something to do. And they've gotten very into. They were always at least a little bit. My dad more than my mom into cannabis, but you know now in their retirement and with it being legal in Illinois, they have fully uh, embraced becoming uh, old old potheads, <laughs> old stoners. <laughs> That's good to hear. For the folks at home, uh, Adam's dad literally is uh, the super fan sketch from Saturday Night Live. That Edgar Gola is just George Went, <laughs> mustache and Dick Buckish jersey and everything. Oh yeah, yeah. I still I don't watch the Bears as often as I used to. I have plenty of problems with the NFL that we could get into if we had the time, but uh, mostly. As far as watching the Bears in particular goes, it's just such a fucking disappointment, and I can't I I can't give myself to that uh, like I used to. But he still does, and I get the text message updates throughout the game, like live game <laughs> update texts, and it's great. Um, you are a big Cubs fan, and I I would like to talk about a song of yours on an act of desperation. There was a ball game. This is about. The Cubs winning the World Series is a song for your grandma. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember when uh, right after the Cubs won, there was a story that came out about someone that had driven across the country to sit by his father's gravestone or his grandpa's gravestone. I don't remember which, but to to be in Chicago and listen to the game on the radio, Game Seven next to his either father or grandfather's headstone at the cemetery. And uh, it made me think a lot of my grandma. My grandma, made, you know, she was a huge Cubs fan and she got me into it. And um, I, I kind of, that story made me want to kind of write, like write a letter to my grandma about watching the Cubs win the World Series. And uh, I'm, I'm better at writing songs than I am at writing letters to dead people. So <laughs> I feel like the song, the song kind of puts it out there in the ether in the universe. And if there is any, uh, you know, if there's any kind of way that um, the the human spirit remains after the human body dies, then I hope she heard it somewhere and it made her feel good. That's a really, really sweet song and such a, a great sentiment. I actually, it's like one of the, you got so much pretty stuff going on on that track with all the background vocals just swelling a lot yeah thanks that was uh a lot of those ideas for the backup vocals and the harmonies and like the like the swelling uh kind of atmospheric guitar stuff was um we had a our guitar player at the time ellie weinberg she um she's an amazing guitar player she was kind of she got us a little more spacey, you know? And, yeah. um, and then we recorded that album with Chris Barker. He was the uh, producer on that. And he had a lot of ideas for the like big kind of triumphant sounding backup vocals. So that was, that was cool the way that came together. Yeah. Dude, Ellie had great twang. Oh yeah. We called her the, we, well, we still do. Uh, we still are actively <laughs> friends with her, but yeah. the, the tone, the tone, witch. <laughs> um, on the record, like in the interval between uh, Black Jean Jacket and the beginning of There Was a Ball Game, you hear like a taste of the title track on the record. Um, it was a really cool idea. Where where did that come from? Uh, that was one of Chris's ideas. Um, we we kind of talked about having like a, a bit of a through line um, on the record as much as possible. And, you know, we kind of talked about like, um, you know, like greatest story ever told. Yeah. And, and, uh, like, uh, David comes to life by fucked up, like, you know, certain albums that have kind of a, a through line kind of, um, you know, whatever, maybe like American idiot, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, we didn't, we didn't necessarily go into it thinking like, 
you know, this is a concept record and we need it to, uh, you know, we need to make references to other songs throughout the album, but, um, but it kind of, I don't know, it kind of, it worked that way. And we were able to kind of push it a little bit more towards that when we all got in the studio and kind of started talking about like sequencing and how we wanted things to look and sound and feel. And, um, so yeah, that was a, that was a cool little idea. It's like thrown in there at the end of like a clip of an old radio broadcast. Yeah. Yeah. I like what you did on the, on the new one too, where the end kind of loops back to the beginning. Yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah, that we just took the, uh, the chorus of the first song on the record and kind of split it up and fade in and out with that. And, um, this, this record, the fields we know is one that was maybe more intentionally, uh, a concept record or whatever. Like we, there was more intentionality behind, um, with active desperation. I feel like, you know, we kind of were able to work it into that. Yeah. Um, but those songs were written over the course of some of the songs for active desperation were like already kind of ideas before we even recorded our first album. So this one was kind of more like written in, in a smaller time window and it was written to be, a record so uh yeah that was um that was a cool a cool little idea to like to bookend that so thank thank you yeah talk to me a bit about the uh title track and act of desperation what's that what's that song about it feels very real life uh that is yeah that is a very that is a very specific song that um that song was inspired by, I don't know, uh, it's hard for me to remember when exactly things happened anymore, especially since COVID, but I think it was maybe 2018 or 19. Uh, it was probably 2019, early 2019. Um, sounds right to me. I think it was. Uh, there was a story that came out uh, in the summer of 2019. Um, you know, there's all the fear mongering going on from the Republican party, mostly from former president Donald Trump, but also, you know, you also get it from the Democrats too, about, you know, the border and border security and yeah. you got to lock down the border and all this bullshit. And, you know, there's, there's a horrible, uh, climate migrant crisis happening where parts of South and Central America have been ravaged and devastated by the effects of climate change and U S foreign policy and U S economic policy in particular, um, and so people are fleeing up the coast, uh, towards the United States, um, for a, a myriad of reasons. But, uh, when, when they get there, um, it's, you should under international law be able to request to seek asylum and you have a hearing and your asylum is either granted or not, but the border was effectively closed completely where people were having to wait, um, the Mexican side of the border for, you know, whatever they would let a few people come in a day to seek asylum. And that's if you are trying like when, when people say like, if you want to come into the United States, you should do it legally. This is people that are waiting to do it legally or whatever. Yeah. Um, for, for days, sometimes weeks. And it was getting to be so hot and there were no resources uh, on this bridge, you know, where people are waiting for however long days, weeks, that some people get desperate and decide to just, we're going to cross the river and fuck it, you know, take our chances because either that we're going to die here. Um, so a young man uh, who was, I think around my age at the time, like mid thirties at the time and his daughter, uh, she was holding on to him. They tried to make it across the river and they did not make it. And uh, the videos and the photos that came out uh, about, about that story showed him like on the bank of the river with his daughter, like wrapped in his shirt and her arms were around his neck. Yeah. And, uh, I remember the story now that you're telling it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean that like instantly I had, I read the, I read an article about it and I watched a little video about it on democracy now, I believe. And I went home from work that day and I just like picked up the guitar and I already had like the, the first like opening line and melody in my head. And uh, yeah, it was just like that, that, struck that image and that story struck me because it's, it is not a unique image or story 
really that stuff happens almost daily on the border um, in, in the United States and all over the world, really. Like there's such a horrible uh, migrant crisis from mostly Africa and Northern Africa into Europe um, and thousands of migrants die every year in the Mediterranean Sea or in the ocean. Um, and, you know, these crises are caused by Western imperialism, by capitalism, by mm-hmm. settler colonialism. And, um, you know, and, and there's really no getting around that. And then uh, when you see, you know, we we live in a society where we're told this is the best place on earth and people come here. And if you come to this country and you, you know, you, you act like a decent person and you work hard, whatever, you can have this great, beautiful life. And like, we can see as Americans that have lived here our whole lives, that that's not really the case. And then people who are like fleeing problems that were caused by policies of this country and of the companies that, uh, you know, this country supports or the companies that run this country or however you want to put it, uh, you know, they are not, welcomed in they're treated as adversaries as as enemies as unwanted invaders or whatever and then you literally die in a river trying to just find a place that you can live with your family and and maybe like eat and have shelter and you know not die from the elements i mean it's uh it's it's to me like that song that may be like the saddest sounding song we've ever uh, written and recorded as a band and and it should be because it is like it's it's uh that story can be related to what's going on right now in gaza yeah. um yeah th- these are all choices you know these aren't like unavoidable disasters right yeah man that's a it's a hell of a track and um yeah the gaza stuff has been really really tough to watch um but yeah, I like I like what you did with that song. It's it sounds like something that just came out of you. You know, it's got yeah. that feeling. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, it's a I had the first verse and then like half of the second verse and I wasn't sure what to do with the choruses and then Ellie and I sat down for a while and we're like, "All right, we we've we've, we've kind of highlighted some important aspects of this particular story, but like how do you then turn that back around on the people who are like basically cheering this on. Mm-hmm. Um, and our buddy Nick Leffler did a music video for that song. It's like an animated video of a Trump supporter sitting in their house watching Fox News while the entire world around them is on fire. Yeah. And they're just like drinking out of a thin blue line mug, <laughs> watching Tucker Carlson and just like, meanwhile, the world's on fire and they're just oblivious. Yeah. No, yeah. Fuck. <laughs> 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 So, um, you did get some some new blood in the in the federal league. Um, who's playing guitar in the band now? Yeah, so Ellie ended up leaving the band uh, after we we did a, a tour with the Bouncing Souls last spring, and we only were able to do four out of the ten shows because we got COVID. Oh, and and uh, we had to go home and. After that, Ellie played a couple more shows with us, but she was never really comfortable with the idea of fully getting back out there and didn't want to hold the band back. So, you know, we had a few conversations with her and um, our friend Nick, uh, Nick Sajovic, who plays guitar and sings as a principal songwriter for the Chicago punk band Butchered. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so yeah. Nick Nick joined uh, in the summer of last year, in the summer of 22, and his first show with us was at like this uh, DIY like anarchist collective house in Indianapolis, Indiana. And then the very next day we went to Gainesville and his second show with us was fest. And and it's been great having Nick. He's an amazing guitar player too. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say Nick or Ellie are better than each other, but Nick comes from like a metal background and like a prog rock background. And Ellie is more like blues country twang, you know? Mm -hmm. So they're both amazing and just a little different. Yeah. You having fun playing with Nick now? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, Nick is a, a super fun guitar player. Um, sometimes he'll – he usually plays a Les Paul, but sometimes he'll uh, pull out the Flying V. And um, the last song on the new record is just like this uh, fun sing-along song called – it's like an anti-fascist kind of sing-along song called Cold Dead Hands. And um, 
after the after he plays his second guitar solo, will like introduce the band and say who we are and before the last verse. And he's been like jumping out in the crowd and giving the guitar to someone and you know, so he's he's definitely like a showman and uh he's an amazing guitar player and really he's a great songwriter and he's got a lot of ideas too. So it was a lot of fun writing and recording this new record with him. And Alex has been just rock solid as your bass player since the beginning. Yeah. Alex Simotis has been the one uh, like mainstay in the band since the beginning. Um, We've been doing this together now since 2017. So uh, coming up on seven years. It's wild to think just for as long as I've known you, like, you started this band back again and it was almost like your your second your second life i guess in being a band or maybe like a third cuz you know you did article 57 when you were in high school that ended broke your heart a little bit then when we met we were you were starting to play music again and night brigade sort of died its own way and then, <laughs> yeah. and then you took a couple of years off yeah but we actually, we, we played a, and we're planning on doing some more stuff with them next year, but uh, we have the same booking agent now, um, but we played with Endless Mike and the Beagle Club a couple times down and we, we played back to back with them at two different shows at Fest. Yeah. And I told Mike that there was a brief period where uh, my friend Tim and I had a band called Endless Mike and it was pointed out to us that Endless Mike and the Beagle Club also existed, but we broke up before that was a problem. We didn't break up, we just... <laughs> I don't know. We just started a different band. Just started a different band. Yeah, <laughs> I still but, think that that endless Mike shirt is one of the best like band T-shirts that I've ever been associated with. Yeah, same. That was a great shirt designed by uh, the infamous Cole Blotke. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> so the fields we know. You recorded this at Little Eden Studios in Asbury Park with Pete from the bouncing souls and i know that this is the dream for you because you and i were lucky enough to visit asbury um for home home for the holidays in 2009 and we went to kate's house it's at kate's house right yeah yep it is uh it's in the basement of kate's house kate is great kate hilts um yeah pete uh i think kind of that had been their basement had been the souls like rehearsal space for a very long time, like since she got that house. But uh, Pete, I think, turned it into a recording studio uh, right around the time the loved ones were going to start working on Build and Burn. And nice um, that that was the first like full length record out of Little Eden, I believe, and that was the first one that Pete like fully produced and engineered as well. I listened to that um, record last week, thinking about thinking about you, thinking about recording there. That's that's a record I really heavily associate with with Pete and that studio, and it's just one of my favorite records of all time. Yeah, that's that's a great record. I think that is my favorite Dave House project. Is yeah, build and burn. Not just the I, I, he's done some cool stuff on his own, and other loved one stuff is great, but that record is awesome. Yeah, it's seriously just it's on another level. Um, you know, I I think very fondly of of that trip that we took, um, and being around that community. You know, we were in college; it was like the end of college, and um, I just remember being around these people who were in their 40s and were just you know it was still the same community of punk rock kids just living and existing and like living adult lives but still hanging out it had such a crazy impact on me yeah me too i think and we and we had conversations about it then too but i i think one thing it really did for me was just kind of like remind me or or maybe uh reinforce that like you can do the things you love as long as you want. Yeah. Uh and it might not be easy and sometimes you know you won't be able to see your friends for a long time, but one of the one of the cool things about home for the holidays too is like that was a a real cool example of folks that 
grew up together doing creative things that they loved and cared about and they loved and supported each other. And they might not get to hang out as often as they all used to, but they all make a point to get back together and keep in touch and keep supporting each other's projects throughout the years, whether it's once a year or whatever, once every few or however it is like Timmy Chunks was there, you know, uh, Lamar Vinoy, Johnny X, and they don't, they don't all live in a punk house together anymore, mm-hmm. <laughs> but they're all rad people and they're all doing rad things. And, um, yeah. So, you know, when we're in our, I mean, I'm, we're in our mid to late thirties now I'm in, I'm 38 and, uh, I don't know. You're how old are you now? 36? I just turned 37. 37? Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't, I think we'll be having conversations like this. If we live to be like into our sixties and seventies, eighties, whatever, we'll still be doing cool stuff. I'm sure to some degree. Well, at least we'll think it's cool. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so, hopefully we'll always have them to look to as a, uh, as an example, you know? Yeah. So tell me about recording there. Like, how was the... Uh, I, I could just imagine Pete being such a great, just calming energy to have at the helm. He really was. Um, we we talked about it. We had talked about it a few times. We You know, when we did the tour with them last year, uh, Pew 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 was on that tour, and they had recently finished recording with Pete, and they had wonderful things to say about the experience. And, you know, I've known Pete for quite a while now, and we've been uh, we've been friends for uh, at least since, yeah, probably since 2008, since um, around that time. And uh, he's always someone that I thought would be cool to work with, but I don't know if we'd ever have the opportunity or if it would make sense to go all the way to Jersey or whatever. But uh, we talked at Fest last year, and he said he'd have some time in the early part of this year, and he'd love to put something on the calendar, so... We kept talking and uh, sending him demos, and uh, we got on the phone and figured out some dates that would work. And the process was super smooth. You know, we didn't really have time to like have him come here or for us to go there to do any kind of like formal pre-production. But we sent him all the demos, and then we had a couple Zoom calls with him, and he was giving us some notes. And uh, and then we went out there. We went out there with seven songs that were not quite finished, and we had. Um, I believe we had seven or eight days. We had seven or eight days booked in the studio and, uh, I was a little worried. I was like, Oh, we don't have all these lyrics done. There's a few songs that feel like they might not totally be where we want them to be yet, but it didn't feel, I wasn't worried about that working with Pete. He's such an amazing songwriter mm-hmm. and Pete, you know, Pete, Brian and Greg and, you know, George too, but Pete, Brian and Greg have always been the three principal songwriters for the bouncing souls and they, they each individually write songs and they collaborate. Um, but it's about evenly distributed from what I've come to learn. And, uh, Pete has a, a really cool taste in music where he listens to pretty much anything, uh, genre wise, but it's all very good. Everything that he listens to is excellent. And, uh, we had a lot of conversations about, like how he listens to music and what he picks out as a songwriter. And um, he, before we came in, like he definitely did have some notes for us, but they weren't super specific. He wasn't asking us to do anything too crazy. He would just be like, Hey, try this, or maybe don't do that and see how that sounds. But when we got in there, um, one thing I have to say is that our drummer, Athen, Athen joined the band uh, after Act of Desperation came out, but, or no, before it came out, but after it was recorded. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's an amazing drummer. Pete said that uh, that was one of the fastest drum sessions he had ever done in any facet of recording. And uh, having Athen playing the drums made it very easy for us to do whatever we wanted because he just he did every song in one or two take to a click and no scratch track or anything. Wow. Uh, yeah, and he did them very well. And uh, it gave us the opportunity to kind of play with stuff a little bit and, um, yeah, like, uh, I, I, the opening song is called the sower. That is a song that Nick and Alex had been messing with just musically by themselves and had not shown the rest of the band until the first day we were in the studio. Oh and my God. <laughs> I, uh, I was kind of pissed. Honestly, I was like, <laughs> we have seven other songs that are not quite done yet. And now we're going to have to write a whole new song from scratch. Mm -hmm. And Pete's like, well, we got to hear it. We can't just 
we can't just not hear it. <laughs> and so we set up and played it, you know, and we had like kind of learned it the night before at the Airbnb and uh-huh. I was being a sourpuss about it. I was like, this is stupid. We're not doing a whole new song right now. And uh, I learned it, whatever. And then we showed Pete and Pete was like, yeah, you got to write lyrics. This is going to yeah. be on the record. This oh, is- yeah. He's like, I'm already hearing some stuff here that we got to do with this. And so I was like, okay, well, I got lyrics that we need to write for four other songs still too. And, uh, but, but like once we showed it to him, I don't know the, the frustration and the, uh, the, the, the bit of, uh, aggravation or anger that I had about it went away immediately. Cause not that I didn't trust my bandmates, but he was just like, don't worry about it. You're going to, we're going to work on it. We're going to do this together. And we have a few days. So by the time we leave here, everyone's going to be happy about everything. And we were. That's so funny. That's so funny. Because I remember you telling me the anecdote about, I swear, the last song on that Loved Ones record, Dave mm-hmm. was just like, you know, he had like an idea. And Pete was like, oh, you got to put that on the record. Yeah. 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 I didn't even think about that at the time. But that is a Yeah, that's a good callback for sure. Because yes, that was the story of that song. And I think, I don't know if that's the best song on that record, but it wouldn't, that record wouldn't be the same without it. Oh man, that is uh, absolutely my favorite song on the record. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of mine, uh, for sure. But, um, but yeah, uh, yeah. Working with Pete was a dream really. I mean, I love the bouncing souls. They are still one of my favorite bands of all time. Even if we weren't friends, I would still love them, but, um, just, I mean, making a record with someone who you respect as a songwriter, a guitar player, musician, producer, engineer, whatever, it's it's a lot easier. Like, I think I'd be apprehensive about letting someone have a huge influence on our songs mm-hmm. if we just, like, walked into a studio and, oh, we're paying you 100 bucks an hour or whatever. But I don't know, with that relationship, it makes he – was, he was the fifth bandmate or whatever in that for that week, you know? Yeah. Man, the sower too is like that's a song that really, really pops on on this new record, and I I like the scope that you have for the lyrics on it. It's one of those songs where it's it's kind of just about everything that's going on. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, it's like uh, to me that song kind of ties that that song lyrically kind of ties the rest of the themes of the record together. Um, we that. That song, so the title is taken from, and I know you are a literature uh, literature enthusiast. Um, so the title of that song is taken from the Octavia Butler book, The Parable of the Sower. Hell yeah. Uh, and there is a Gandalf quote in the lyrics. Um, so a lot of a lot of literary references in that <laughs> That's one. Amazing. Uh, the second half of the chorus of the the uh, the two verses are basically just like as a person living in twenty twenty three. If you've tried to like basically follow the rules of this society, you're seeing that that isn't working. Like Mm -hmm. it's hard to keep up financially. We're seeing a lot of, uh, a lot of things like societally, politically, socially, economically, whatever move effectively move backwards pretty rapidly. And like, so what do you do then? You know, if, if you've done everything the right way, according to, the institutions that preside over us and it still sucks, then what do you do? And, um, and then the first half of the chorus, uh, we may not live long enough to see the world that we're dreaming of was an adaptation of a quote by an activist named, uh, forest defender named, uh, Manuel, uh, Tortuguita Terran, uh, Tortuguita was their forest name. Um, they were murdered by a combination of, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, the Atlanta PD, and the Fulton County Sheriff's Department. We don't know exactly who pulled the trigger that killed them, but they were shot over 50 times for Jesus. sitting down in front of a tree with their hands raised, trying to stop a multi-billion dollar militarized training facility for oh, the Atlanta this police. Oh, like from the cop, cop land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stop cop city. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I had that line in my head, we may not live long enough, because this was we were recording about two weeks after – uh, Tortuguito was murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had listened to a, a podcast called it could happen here. And they interviewed a bunch of Tortuguito's family and friends and comrades. And they had said just a couple weeks earlier that they have like started to accept the idea that they might 
die a revolutionary death and that they might not live long enough to see the world that they were fighting for. So we took that line and I didn't know how to tie it up to finish the chorus. And Jessica was rereading the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, and she was like in the appendix of one of the books or the, uh, the epilogue, or I'm not sure, but there was like a, an appendage, uh, that was kind of, um, like a, a letter from Gandalf essentially to, I'm not exactly sure. It's one of the hobbits probably. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big Lord of the Rings person. I like it and I appreciate it, but, uh, the quote was <laughs> like, we may not, uh, defeat, we may defeat Sauron now, but we may never fully defeat evil. But what we can do is uproot evil in the fields we know so that those that come next have fertile earth to till. But we had to yeah. rhyme, so we changed Put it. Put some so. poetics on that. But yeah, there's a, yeah, there's a, a lot of uh, a lot of different factors made up the sower. Octavia Butler, a little bit of Gandalf, uh, Tolkien, and then just living life, uh, yeah, uh, Tortuguita, and then living in, in the world right now. You got uh, did you get Micah Schnabel on uh, to do a reading for Meet Me at George Floyd Square? Yeah, so Micah, we have a few features on Meet Me at George Floyd Square. The first of which is Micah, um, and you uh, are the first person that ever turned me on to Two Cow Garage. Yeah, I love that and, band. Uh, I remember we hung out, we hung out at some point early in our friendship, and you brought your external hard drive over, and we swapped a bunch of music files and uh two cow was on there. And I remember you telling me like, I know you like Lucero. You need to listen to this band. Cause they're a little more punk than Lucero. And uh, yeah, it's going to, you're going to love it. And, uh, and since then they two cow has been, you know, one of my favorites for years. And Micah and I have become friends. We've gotten to play together a good, I don't know how many times now we've gotten to play together a bunch and uh, I love Tukal, but Micah's solo records, especially the new Norman Rockwell. Yeah. Like that record, like to me, uh, like Micah is like the little anarchist conscience in my head. Like that's the voice. <laughs> <laughs> that's the voice that I hear when I'm thinking about the world and and the way it is. So, uh, yeah, I sent him a, an early demo for Meet Me at George Floyd Square. And I was like, I don't know what you might be able to contribute to this. But if you have any lyrics, and here are the lyrics that I have so far, and uh, I was kind of writing it under the under the supervision of the other feature on the on the song, Marsha Howard. She was kind of I was sending her lyrics, and she was kind of letting me know like maybe use this or change that or this mm-hmm. is cool. And Micah was like, "Yeah, you know, I got some ideas." And he sent me like three paragraphs of stuff, and he's like, "What do you think?" <laughs> and I said, "Any and all of this is amazing, but this is how much time you have." <laughs> So whatever you could fit in. And so uh, we sent him the track once it was recorded and he sent that back to us and it was perfect. Like it, it just, to me, um, and not to trivialize the song because it's a very serious song, but uh, we are approaching uh, the Christmas season, the holiday season. And my favorite holiday movie, Christmas movie of all time is the Muppet Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. And I see Micah in that song as... Uh, Gonzo as Charles Dickens <laughs> in the Muppet Christmas Carol, like he's like setting the scene, you know. Like, yeah. Uh, and and yeah, Micah was super stoked to do it, and we're hoping to get some stuff on the books with Micah and Vanessa for next year. But uh, but yeah, that was and and the lyrics or the whatever the lyrics or the words that he wrote for that part are like perfect Micah Schnabel words. Yeah, for dude, sure. absolutely. I love uh, we are everywhere. Um. It's so one of my favorite songs on the record. It's also something like never really heard before is a punk anthem for people with disabilities. You as a blind person, like, I don't know, man, it, it filled my heart up with a lot of goodness hearing a song like that. Thank you. Yeah. And that's the, that's probably the heaviest and most angry sounding song this band has ever done. Yeah. Uh, we had some songs that were kind of in that vein with Night Brigade, um, but and Article 57 had some more yelling. Uh, I was younger and <laughs> <laughs> didn't listen to Jason Isbell yet. Um, but uh, but yeah, that one, uh, that was co-written by our friend Beck Graham. Uh, Beck is super fucking rad. 
Um, and, and that song is, yeah, that song is primarily, uh, and, and that song was kind of written alongside of, and, and kind of under the wing of Ty Dakima, who is, uh, one of the most badass, uh, disability activists in all of history and punk rock for sure. Um, those are both Grand Rapids friends. Beck plays in a band called the quirk. And then they also play guitar for bong mountain uh, a good deal of the time. Uh, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, like, uh, I don't know. Uh, there, yes, there, there. To my knowledge, has not yet been uh, like a, a an anthemic like sing along song about being disabled. Uh, there are a lot of songs about being queer. That song mentions being queer, uh, but disabled and queer folks. And I've noticed too a lot of my queer friends, a lot of the queer folks in the community that uh, I am in in activist spaces and music um, also have disabilities mm-hmm. because because why not? You know, why not just have multiple things to make it harder for yourself to live in this <laughs> fucked up capitalist society. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, like so many queer folks, so many disabled folks are at the front lines of so many important movements that benefit everyone. Um, and you know, whether it's the Americans with disabilities act, uh, the George Floyd uprisings, uh, black folks, indigenous folks, queer, disabled folks, um, the civil rights movement, every, I mean, everything, the labor movement, all of these movements uh, at the forefront of these movements at the front lines, the ones that are getting beat up by the cops and arrested are almost always disabled people. They're almost always queer people. Uh, they're almost always people of color. Um, and yeah, we just wanted to, we wanted to, uh, to have a song on the record that was like a, a solidarity song for disabled and queer folks um, and one of the, the best quotes from that song that I can think of right now is while, while I was recording uh, the vocals for that song, Pete stopped me and said, are you trying to threaten people or raise awareness? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I think both. <laughs> and, and his response was cool. I think this is like a disability superhero song. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that song is written by and for uh, Ty Daikima, Beck Graham, and then all other, all other folks that are queer, disabled, allies, whatever. We are we are everywhere. Fuck yeah, dude. Um it doesn't matter if you're in Valparaiso, Indiana. <laughs> um so not to get on too far of a tangent here, but um this was originally supposed to come out on AF Records. Yes, it was in production at the plant, and they were about to send out the test pressings in the middle of July. Yeah. Um floor is yours. I don't want to press too much on the subject, but I think I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about that. Yeah. Um yeah, I don't think we need to spend too much time on it, but uh we made so um for anyone that's listening to this that doesn't know the history of this band, uh the members of Anti Flag have been close personal friends of mine for a very long time over 20 years at this point um the two chrises in particular chris head and chris barker were the two guys that i was closest with uh but i can't say that i wasn't or didn't consider um and i I am still friends with the chrises uh and i wouldn't say that i wasn't friends with justin um and I was friends with Pat too, I guess, but that was just, we'd see him when he was around at shows, but, uh, I would actively keep in touch with the two Chris's and then also Justin sometimes. And, uh, you know, when, when information like that comes out about people that you trust about people that you look up to about people that have treated me well, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and I've seen Justin treat a lot of people well, but, uh, you know, when someone is an abuser, um, when someone is clearly a person who seems to not be willing to take accountability, uh, that that's terrible and it sucks. And it's, it's most terrible for the original victims. Absolutely. Uh, Christina Sarhadi and everyone else that spoke out, um, you know, thank you. And thank you for letting us know that we had a, a predator in our midst um, and I'm sorry that you experienced that. And, and, uh, it also hurt and affected a lot of other people that were peripherally connected to the band or the label. 
And I know a lot of folks weren't happy with the initial response from the rest of the band. And I was frustrated with them. Um, I was texting and calling the, you know, the guys that I'm closer with for the first few days asking, you know, like what's going on? Uh, what are you going to say something like, cause you know, and, and I was never worried that those guys were covering up for egregious abusive behavior, but you can't like, you can't just disappear. Yeah. Especially, especially a band like that, especially anti-flag, especially a band that has been so important to, I feel like the political awakening of so many people to, you know, when we played some shows with them at the end of last year and they're supposed to be on this tour that we're doing and I'd still see it uh, at all their shows. You see the people at those shows who you see in the streets at protests. You see the people at those shows who might not always feel comfortable going to a punk rock show because you don't know if there's going to be some, you know, some misogynistic boneheads there, some, you know, some idiots, some horror, horrible fucking transphobes, whatever. Mm -hmm. But people felt like they could go and have a good time and be amongst their people at an anti-flag show. And, uh, and, and that, was true for the most part, obviously, um, you know, not Justin and, and I can't speak for anybody else. Um, and I can't speak for those dudes, but I've had many conversations with them, uh, since then, obviously not Justin. I haven't heard a goddamn word from him and I don't expect to, um, I sent him a, a very, uh, well thought out message about how I felt about him and his actions. And, uh, a couple of days after all that news came out and, then I blocked him. Um, anyway, though, we don't need to get too far into it, but uh, I'll say that at some point, uh, people will probably hear more from the Chris's and uh, Chris Head and Chris Barker, and they might not, but uh, I think, um, you know, I can't imagine being in their shoes for something like that. And, and I don't know that I would have handled it any better. Uh, I hope, I hope I would have, um, but I don't know that I would have, it was a terrible thing. It, it, uh, really fucked up a lot of people. It blindsided a lot of people. It, it, it was terrible. Um, we waited a couple of days to say anything cause I wanted to see what they were going to say first and they didn't. So we did. Um, and it's just very simple, you know, the, that kind of abuse, I mean, no abuse, but like, uh, that, that kind of abuse is not to be tolerated. Uh, there is no justification or excuse for it and there is no room for it. And, and if someone does come out with an accusation or, uh, you know, if, if there is some kind of, um, a claim made against somebody, uh, there's not going to be a good response really. Yeah. But, but not taking any accountability at all, you know, what Justin had to say for himself was pretty was pathetic. Sickening, yeah. It was it was sickening, it was pathetic, it was embarrassing. And and then, you know, a couple of weeks later the Rolling Stone article came out, which was like Yeah. Here, here's more evidence right. if you need yeah. it. And right. You know, and there was not another word issued from him after that. And that's disappointing because uh, you know, he is a person that I considered a friend and um He's a person that I looked up to in a lot of ways, and a lot of people did. And I've had conversations with a lot of folks about this. And, uh, you know, the lack of accountability, the lack of even being willing to accept any kind of accountability is uh, – it's it's almost as disappointing as the initial violation or the initial, uh, you know, infraction. Yeah. Um, and – I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with that guy for the rest of his life. I, I hope he is able to figure out how to exist in the world without harming other people. Yeah. Um, and uh, I hope that all the victims and everyone that has been peripherally affected by this is able to get some kind of solace and closure. And, and you know, and I know Christina Sarhadi has built up a really good community of survivors and, uh, you know, and supporters and allies through this. And that's awesome to see. Um, and, you know, and, and uh, if the other, if the other two dudes, if, if the Chris's uh, Chris head and Chris too, if they're able to uh, Chris Barker, if they're able to find their way 
back into music someday. I think they will tell their story to whoever. Uh, they'll tell whatever amount of the story that they are comfortable telling to whoever is willing to listen. And, um, and yeah, I mean, they would, I can say that from my perspective without talking for them. Um, I've known those dudes for over 20 years and, uh, that was, uh, probably being betrayed by someone that you trusted, someone that you considered your family and someone that you considered a friend and someone that you didn't think you had to keep tabs on at all times because you don't think that your friends are committing sexual assault, um, on a regular basis or at all. Uh, they, the reason for them handling it the way they did not to make an excuse, but, uh, what I can say is that they were all completely shell shocked and devastated and, and lost and confused and like literally like throwing up and, you know, yeah, spun out. So again, those are their, those are their stories to tell, but the record was supposed to come out on AF. It was in production. The test pressings were about to be mailed out. And then we got a call from Chris Stowe that ran AF records and he handled it as well as he could have. And, uh, he just let us know, you know, and you know, if, if this wasn't done before, uh, if he didn't call me first, we were going to call him and let, it, let him know we were going to look for somewhere else to go. But he called me first and he just let me know that the label was going to, he was going to be shutting down shop at the label. And if we had another place to go with the record, he'd be happy to make that transition as seamless as possible. And, um, you know, the, the, the other two Chris's, uh, were totally on board with him doing what he needed to do to take care of the bands on the label. And they did, they took care of the bands on the label really well. They gave everybody all their inventory. Uh, they paid out all the royalties right away. And then if you had any debt to the label, they just cleared that immediately. So they handled that with the bands as best they could have, I think, um, you know, given everything that was going on and our drummer. And now we have a keys player, uh, with us on this tour. And I think she'll probably be with us indefinitely. Um, they are in a band called boob sweat from grand rapids and they're on a label called bipolar records mm -hmm. and, uh, bipolar picked it up right away. They put Chris Stowe in touch with Damon at bipolar and Damon just picked up the invoice and picked up the job. And it was, it was uh, as seamless a transition as there could have possibly have been given the circumstances. I'm really happy that that turned out the way that, it did. Um, it's great that you got a good label to just pick up the, the transition. I'm really, really happy that this record didn't get stuck in limbo. Um, thank you for speaking on that. I know that it's not easy to do. Um, but yeah, that, that news was fucking the worst. I hated it. I hated it as, uh, you know, somebody who... I think I was part of my political awakening was was a result of listening to Anti Flag, and yeah, me too. just that alone sucked. And having um, you know, like the fact that you were connected to to the label was just like fuck me. That was a tough day. It's a tough week, um, but yeah. Um, Thanks for thanks for speaking on it. I'm glad that shit worked out with your record. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I haven't talked about it too much publicly because it's not. I don't know. Like, I I don't I don't have that much to add to that conversation. I'm not trying to. Um, you know, we said what we have to say and we stand by it. And and I still do have a lot of love in my heart for Chris Barker and Chris Head. And uh, I've I've told them how I felt about the way everything was initially handled and went down and they understand that, you know, yeah, it, it maybe could have been handled better, but I, I understand why it wasn't as well. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, the record's out now. It's fucking good, dude. Eight songs too. That's fucking where it's at. Born to run, baby. Hell yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would have been, we recorded in Asbury park. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would have, I would have liked to maybe like, I, th I think like, I would have liked to maybe have had a few more songs to choose from, but I don't like what, you know, I don't know. There's, I don't think that album, thank you. I don't think that record is missing anything. It's 22 and a half minutes long and it's like, you can, you can listen to it 
and not like you can listen to the whole thing mm-hmm. and not feel like it's too long. Yeah. I think that's that's important <laughs> to me. Absolutely. I like to, you and I both we 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 like to listen to full albums. Yeah, for sure. Um, look on this tour, dude. Um, I'm so proud of you for pursuing this and for keeping on. And yeah, dude, thanks for coming back on. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, look forward to getting together again and, uh, we'll, we'll figure out some time after the holidays or around that time in the new year or whatever. And, uh, hang out, talk about life and music and catch up without, without recording it. If you would like, that sounds good. to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so proud of you too, man. Everything you're doing is so rad. And, uh, yeah, let's just try to keep doing it forever. Thanks, man. I love you, buddy. Love you, too.